to Taryn and the preaching team for giving me Genesis 14. Mandy, you can bring the, um, you can bring it up there. It's a wonderful chapter. Basically, the first half is filled with names of kings. Then the second half is basically they have a battle. The third, then Abraham basically has this encounter with this mysterious figure called Melchizedek who gives him bread and wine, and then Abram tithes to this guy, and then that's the end of the chapter. So it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> you guys don't really need to preach, and um, thanks for assigning me this beautiful chapter, guys. Um, no, all seriousness. I know we're, we're short on time, but um, basically I was going to read through the whole chapter, but I'll, I'll skip the first part. But the first um, few verses just talks about all these kings. So um, if you remember the context... Abram was in Egypt. He lied to Pharaoh that Sarah was not his wife. There was, um, there was this whole journey that went on. Eventually, um, they left Egypt. In chapter 13, Abram and his nephew Lot, it says they have, I'll read it for you quickly. It said, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And it says um, further on that um, the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great. So Abram and Lot had so much um, provision, abundance on their life. They actually had to separate. There wasn't enough space. Abram said, Lot, you choose. Lot chose the best area. Abram went away, and he chose another area. And then we drop down into chapter 14. And I'll, I'll pick up at verse 5. It says, in the 14th year, Chedorlaomer, thanks again for the easy names, and the kings who were with him defeated a whole bunch of other kings and they turned back, and they went, and they defeated all the country of the Amalekites. Um, that's in verse 7. Then it says, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admar, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela joined in the battle of Sidim with all these other kings. It was four kings against five. So basically, it's like the Lord of the Rings, the battle of the nine kings. It's like tonight on E, <laughs> the battle of the nine kings. <laughs> And Melchizedek, <laughs> followed by Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> if you guys don't know ETV, sorry, you missed a beautiful moment there. So it's basically a battle of nine kings. Mandy, if you just, if you just go to that slide of the map, it's actually quite cool. The map is, so you might not be able to see the text, but if you follow, there's a whole path with um, an arrow on the right-hand side. Um, where the kings come, those two lines diverging together, and basically this guy, Chedorlaomer, however you say his name, he had a whole bunch of kings, and they just caused destruction, and they went all the way through to the bottom, where it says Alparan. They turned up, and they went through, and in the middle you'll see a little X, where it says the Battle of the Nine Kings, Sodom and Gomorrah. So basically the context is, there's this king, he's had all these kings around him, and they've just wreaked havoc and destruction. They've got to the bottom, and they've said, okay, we're going to turn around, and we're going to just keep plundering. We're going to just keep taking what we can. And there were a whole bunch of other kings who had been with him for 13 years, and then decided to go against him, the Battle of the Nine Kings. That's like, that's pretty much Lord of the Rings. Just think of all the orcs. And, and then there's a cool, I'll pick it up, it says, Verse 10, the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits or asphalt pits or bitumen pits or slime pits. 
And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into the pits, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their provisions went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came to, and told Abraham the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, um, with Mamre the Amorite with his brother Eshel and Anna, they were allies. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, 318 of them, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. You can go back to that map. Um, so he goes back, and you'll see at the top, it says Dan, Abraham's attack. So he says, okay, no problem. Four armies have been taken out. Actually, five armies have been taken out. I'll just take 318 of people in my house, and we'll go get these guys. He takes them up to Dan, and then it says, and he divided his forces again by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and he pursued them to Hobar, north of Damascus. So he's like, cool, we'll take them at Dan, just keep that map up, and then we'll just take them all the way. And he basically pursued the armies, and he chased them out of the area with 318 men. How did I never read the story in Sunday school? Come on, guys, this is like the best. This is like better than David and Goliath. Verse 16, then he brought back all the possessions, or then he brought back all. He also brought back Lot with his possessions, the woman, and the other people. Amazing. After his return to the defeat, he went to the Valley of the Kings. This is a crazy part. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. He blessed them and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. It's quite a crazy encounter he has just after defeating these battles, these armies. And then the king of Sodom came to Abraham. He said, give me the persons, but you take the goods. But Abraham said to the king, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, possessor of heaven and earth. I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Ana, Ishal, and Mamre take their share. And what does this have to do with us living in Cape Town in 2023? <laughs> and um, I just thought it was so fascinating. You've got Abram who's going to become Abraham, and he's on this journey. God's made him promises to give him descendants, and he finds himself living in a context and a culture that is just rife with destruction, control, conflict. And I thought, wow, it is actually not that different to what we're living in at the moment. Everywhere you look, it's just control, destruction, You've got these kings who were with the king for 13 years, then they switch and they decide, now nah, I'm not with them anymore, and there's a huge battle. And I just thought, isn't that interesting? The modus operandi of the day and of the region was to take whatever you can by raiding and plundering. It wasn't about building, but it was about destroying. And I had an amazing moment this week. We um, busy, I work in a property company, and we're busy demolishing a building. And I actually want to show you a video. 
This is a building that's been there for probably since 1960. And this is, a, this is what the guys were doing. Probably took them less than an hour to take this building down. And I was texting my business partner, and he sent back, I sent him the video, and he said, it's so much easier to destroy than create. It's so much easier to destroy than create. And I just felt like there was something in us, something in that for us. You see Abrams in this, in this culture where basically it's just like take what you can, destroy, enrich yourself. And I was like, isn't that interesting? <laughs> if you're not with me, you're against me. Sounds a bit like Twitter, doesn't it? Like you have to be 100% for me, otherwise you're 100% against me and I'm going to take you out. And it's very easy living in the context that we live in South Africa to see the problem. But as someone wise once said, you cannot solve a problem on the same level that it was created. And so it's easy to see problems. It's easy to join our mouths with complaining and grumbling and saying, look at everything that's going on all around us. But as Terence said, when the Spirit of God touches your mouth, something in your mouth changes and the way you speak begins to change because God begins to give you vision to see that it's easy to grumble, but it's far harder to speak with solutions and to speak life. But maybe God is calling us as a people who are not only touched by the Spirit of God and have an amazing encounter, but we go out and the, the words that we speak change and we begin to speak life where we see death. The fruits of the deconstruction movement has resulted in a lot of dismantling, but very little constructive formation. It's easy to deconstruct something. It's very difficult to build and to form something. And maybe we've gone through a season of deconstruction and God says, okay, that's fine, but now I'm calling you to build something. And building takes time. And God's saying, I'm calling you people, some of you I'm calling you not to leave. And this is not a heavy thing, but I just felt prophetically. Some of us, God says, who is actually going to be the person that says, I'm staying. I'm going to build. I'm going to be like Nehemiah. I'm going to repair the walls. People are big about opinion, but actually, when you meet, some, when you meet someone and their life carries something, that is what people catch. So you can say a whole lot of stuff online or wherever, but what you carry is what matters. And God is looking for a people in Cape Town who would carry his kingdom. Amen, Dave. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, men fell into them. Look at these tar pits. Um, have you ever seen a tar pit? I haven't until I Googled them. That's, um, there's four slides, so you can just flick through them. You can end on the last one. These are, that's a tar pit. And I was like, what the heck is, some, some translations say slime pit. And I was like, it's literally like Lord of the Rings, like you're running. I mean, what kind of crazy battle must it have been that you would like rather fall in a slime pit than be killed? I mean, these guys must have been fleeing for their lives. And I just felt, you know, it's crazy how, it's such a picture of what happens when the enemy is taken control of a region, it's marked by something that is so full of death and destruction. And you know, tar, tar is amazing. I'm in construction. 
you build with tar and it's like it's amazing to actually be able to like rip up ground and, and, and fresh tar, it's, it's beautiful. And the smell of fresh tar, it's amazing. But when tar is in a tar pit, it's harmful and it's destructive and it speaks of death because the enemy can only ever contain something. You see those tar pits, there's no outflow. And so what happens is it just becomes a cesspool for death, entrapment, and stagnation. And I just want to say there is no stagnation in the purposes of God. When the Spirit of God pours out upon us, we are not to become dams, but we are to become conduits. Lord, I'm only a vessel. <laughs> Thanks to Mark Luttrell. But when God pours out upon us, we shouldn't be people who become a place of stagnation, but we should become a people who are a place of flow. Whatever you've been given freely, freely you give away. That's my mini commentary on the tarpets. And then it carries on about how um, these guys took Lot. So they, they, they killed the armies and they took Lot. And someone escaped and he came to Abraham and he said, they've got Lot. And this is what it says. It says, a man escaped, came to, reported to Abram. He was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshel and Anai. They were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit of these guys. And there's such an interesting thing that happens here. There's, it, Abram's living in this valley, in this region where there's like, Kings getting slacked by other kings and five kings against four kings and I'm not with this king, so I'm against that king. But he's living in a place of peace. He's living in a place of community. It says he's got these brothers around him. He's living under the great trees, which speaks of shade and blessing. Blessing. And God comes and almost pulls him out of that place of peace and comfort and says, actually, there's a war going on. And I don't know if, you got, if you've ever been in a situation where you've been, your life has literally just become just completely shattered by news of something. It, ever happened to you? I'll never forget, we had a friend, Nessie, a few years ago, Tuesday night, Jenna and I were at home, eating dinner, deciding what to watch on Netflix, get a call from a friend, hey, did you guys see Nessie today? Fast forward a few minutes, a few hours, there's about 10 of us on, on, on Table Mountain in October looking for Nessie. She'd gone up for a hike and we were trying to find her. And unfortunately, the next day we found out that, um, that the, the search and rescue team had found her body in, um, nearby. But I'll never forget that moment of just going by my life and then just all of a sudden being ripped into the situation of crisis. And there's something powerful that, that speaks to prophetically for us. It's very easy for us as people in the city or wherever we are to live these lives of comfort. We've got our friends, we've got our community, but outside, all around us, there are wars raging. And you know, our, um, our mission statement as a church is stepping into the story of God for the sake of Cape Town. Well, Mo, uh, not Moses. <laughs> Abram steps into the story of God for the sake of Lot. He didn't have to go and take, go. He was like, Lot, when we went into the valley, we had both had our possessions. I said to you, Lot, you go and pick where you want to go. 
And you know what it says? This is what it says about Lot. Lot chose for himself the, the Jordan Valley. Um, they separated. Lot settled amongst the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So Lot chose what in his own eyes was abundance, but he moved towards a place of evil. And it's such an interesting thing that we can live our lives so self-sufficient, thinking we can just be all satisfied, we can have all our ducks in a row, we're in abundance, but we make calculations in our own minds and we say, ah, we'll, we'll just live near that place of evil. We'll, we'll just live near, you know, we'll just put up with that compromise. We'll just, you know, we'll do things our own way. And here Abram comes and he says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for you. And there's some of us in this room where God's called you to fight for other people. He's called you to step into his story for the sake of other people. Some of you might just even sense that right now. I love his audacity. 318 men against four kings and their armies. And Abram's like, I'll take them. I mean. <laughs> uh, I also find it interesting that Abram's got 318 men living in his household. I mean, it's a big household. Also, what's interesting is God promised him a descendant. And he's childless, but he's got 318 men around him and their families. They must have spoken to his longing for God to fulfill his promise. And I was like, wow, sometimes God can promise us things and he'll put us in situations where everyone around us or everything around us is living in the reality of the thing that we are waiting for God to do. But if we are able to steward that, sometimes God just wants us to be able to steward other people's promises before stepping into our own promises. That's, that's for free. You guys can have that for free. Abram means exalted father. He, he, he hadn't been renamed Abraham yet. And I find it interesting that he steps into the, his identity. He doesn't have his own son, but the closest thing he does have to a son is a nephew, Lot. And he says, no, my identity is an, I'm an exalted father. I'm going to do what a father would do, and I'm going to chase down these guys, and I'm going to take back what is rightfully mine. This is the closest thing I have to a son. I'm going to step into my identity. Abram's got a promise over his life that he's going to have generations upon generations upon generations that are going to come from him. Why would he want to risk his whole life and the promises of God to go after one person? What if he gets taken out? Then the promises of God die. But maybe there was something in Abram said, no, when, when I moved away from Lot, God promised me, he said, lift up your eyes, Genesis 13, 14. Look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Maybe he said, well, God's given me a promise. All this land he's gonna give to me, so they're in the land, and God's going to give me the land, so they can't actually take me out because God's made me a promise. So I'm going to take the seed of faith, and I'm going to step in to the promise of God. And sometimes we think God gives us a promise, like I'm going to give you the land, 
but you don't have to fight a battle for it. But actually sometimes the presence of opposition in your life from the enemy actually speaks to the places where God wants you to take occupation. And I feel like for some of us, God says, I'm awakening an audacity within you today because there are people in your life, there are people around you, there are situations around you, there are lots in your life, and I'm actually calling you to take those 318 people, whatever that is for you, take it and go because I am with you and I will give you victory and I will give you the land. Amen. Somebody get Pentecostal up in here. Isn't it interesting, Abram was willing to risk it for someone else's descendants. What if we are willing to give our lives to see the very thing that we long for happen in someone else's story? Verse 16, I don't think we have time to go into the whole Melchizedek thing today. Um, But verse 16, it says, he brought back all the possessions, or he recovered all. He didn't just get some of it, he got it all. And you know, a friend of mine says, when God restores, he restores to better than before. And I feel like there's a restoration for some of our lives where the enemies come to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, actually today, I'm saying, you're going to recover all. Cole and Janeth, I just, I just felt that for you guys when I was preparing. I just felt like, There's a season of restoration around you guys where God says, you've been through, you've you've had to walk through some things, you've had to give up some things, you've even had to fight some battles that weren't your own, but today God says, I am the God of more than enough. I'm the God of more than enough, and I feel like there's just a divine restoration for you guys this morning. says he recovered all. Yeah, I really feel this thing of like there's a spirit of audacity and a spirit of recompense. Some of us, we just have to say this far, no further. God is gonna use you to pursue the enemy. But I love it that Abram wasn't just merely pursuing the enemy, he was pursuing something of value. And, And we were praying this morning and saying like, God, give us a heart for those who are far off. God loves to pursue those who are far off, but he uses us to pursue those who are far off. And this morning, I feel like God is just awakening something in some of us to say, Lord, won't you use me to be like Abram and his 318 men and go and pursue what the enemy has stolen? For some of us, it's people in our own families. Even Jen and Luke, I just felt for you guys, like even what the enemy is trying to wreak destruction in your own family, God says, I will restore to better than before. I will restore to better than before. He recovered all. And it's interesting, it says, he came back with Lot, with his possessions, and the woman, and the people. And I I might just end on that. Love that he adds, and the woman. And I feel like there, if you haven't been following what's happening in the church around the world, there really is a war over women. There's a war over women. And I just, like, I was reading this passage and it just, like, those words, like, 
hit me in the face that there is a restoration of a woman that God is doing in this day because the enemy has wreaked too much havoc and he's bringing back women to full restoration. Full restoration. Where it's not just like, oh, like that happened, we're so sorry, like let's move on. No, it's full restoration. They're coming back. In fact, let's just maybe ask all the, all the ladies to stand. Um, this wasn't in my plan, but um, I don't think much of what's happened today has been, been planned. But uh, I just feel like there's something God just wants to do as a, as a sign. You know, in Jesus' day, the most oppressed person he would have encountered would, would have been a Jewish woman. And we just read time and time again that Jesus reached out. So we just, all you guys standing there, you can just reach out a hand if it's, a, if it's your wife. You can lay a hand on her. Just feel like this is a prophetic act. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of full restoration. Full restoration. And as men in this house today, we just want to thank you for these women who stand here. And we know that the greatest battles are fought over the greatest treasures, Lord. And so, Lord, we just honor these, uh, our sisters before us as these great treasures in the kingdom. And we just declare full restoration in Jesus' name, where the enemy would have come to try and seek to kill, steal, and destroy. Lord, you've come to just bring life, and life in all its fullness. I know, we, I know we are just on 11. just want to take a, a brief moment just to in fact we can all stand in this moment just take one or two more minutes I felt like God was doing ministry during our worship time so we, it's, it's more important that we, we just do what God's doing but there were one or two things I just wanted to touch on as we end. What's interesting about that story is when Abram comes back, and we didn't have time to go into it, but when he comes back after the battle, he, he meets this king priest called Melchizedek, whose name means king of Salem or king of peace. And there was, in fact, in that land a king who is living and reigning with peace. In spite of all the strife that was around, he was reigning in a city called Salemos, Shalem, from which in years to come, Jerusalem would come. And he was living in the valley of king, near the valley of kings. And there was something about him that learned to reign with peace. And he comes out to Abram and he says, here is some bread and wine. And peace will always come out and pursue you with bread and wine, with feasting. And so this morning, wherever you find yourself, 
I feel like the Lord says there's a call to the feasting of the God of peace. The God of peace who meets you where you're at. Right now, I just wanna pray for you. If you felt, when I was talking about Abram going off the lot, if you felt like God was awakening or stirring you to start to step out into his story for the sake of others, for the sake of maybe someone in your family or someone in your life or someone in the city. If that was you, why don't you just, where you're standing, lift your hands. I feel like God just wants to, by his spirit, he, it's almost like a commissioning where he says, I'm calling you, my sons and daughters, this morning to be those who would be moved by the same compassion and the same desire for those around you. I'm calling you to be people who are not like tar pits, but are people who are like Melchizedek, where you would be my very places of peace, that those who are living in strife all around you would come into a place of peace and would encounter the Prince of Peace. So Lord, I pray right now that you just release just a fresh wave of your heart over us in this moment. Fresh wave of your heart. 